0: Hello, this is Bruce, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the April 27th, 2023 issue of the East Aurora Advertiser on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. And one of the front page stories, Local Over 60 Softball Team Wins East Coast Softball Tourney by Rick Oler. You wouldn't think they'd have a chance. Group of guys in their 60s from East Aurora and surrounding towns. How could they compete in a softball tournament against players who live and play ball in Florida year-round? Undaunted, a squad of fourteen called from the Glory Days Softball Leagues that play at the JP Nicely West Falls Park traveled to Pompano Beach, Florida in March to compete in the East Coast Senior Softball Tournament. As Julius Caesar might have said, They came, they saw, they conquered. Led by East Aurora and Rick Wells, the MOGs, as they are known, took nine out of ten games over the five-day event from March 6th through March 10th, winning the Division A crown. We played so well that they moved us from Division B to Division A mid-tournament, Wells said, who spoke to me on his way to indoor softball practice at Eastern Hills Sports Performance Park. He was sharpening his skills for the upcoming Glory Days season. We played better against the tougher competition. The only game the MOGs lost was by one run. It's pretty amazing when you consider some of the Southern teams had already played 20 or 30 games. The East Coast Senior Softball Tournament draws teams from as far north as Cape Cod and as far south as Florida, with most states in between representative. Represented, Unlike many senior slow-pitch leagues that mandate wood bats, the Eastern Coast tournament pitchers have to throw to batters swinging lively metal bats, challenging fielders to be on their toes. The batted ball comes at them quickly. Since tournament rules call for a 60-minute time limit on games, all batters come to the plate with a one-ball, one-strike count. The maximum number of runs a team can score in an inning is five, except for the seventh inning. Teams have 11 fielders, four across the outfield, and an extra infielder who is usually stationed behind second base. There is a maximum of three home runs per team per game. Any home runs beyond three becomes an out. With unlimited courtesy runners allowed, the speediest guys are always on the base path. All that makes for plenty of balls in play and action that is fast and furious. There are concessions to age, otherwise known as safety features, meant to keep players from sustaining unnecessary injuries. A screen protects the pitcher from rocketing line drives coming from the metal bats. A separate first base bag is located next to the regulation first base. Runners touch the outside base while fielders stand on the regulation base to record the out, thereby reducing the chance of collisions. Same with home plate. A separate home plate helps avoid collisions with the catcher. As well, all plays at home are considered force outs, no tags or sliding necessary. We had a great time, Wells said. We batted all 14 players and everybody hit the ball and got on base. I think Sam Cullis, a member of the triumphant 2014 waldenheim Dudas team that I managed was 28 for 32, a rip-roaring 875 batting average. Some of the other MOGs had similar lofty batting averages. Added Cullis, there was a spirit of camaraderie among all the MOGs. Rick Wells set up the lineup beforehand. Everybody played, everybody sat out a few innings here and there. Nobody complained. For a bunch of old men who haven't played live softball outside since last summer... We really put on a show. Well said three teams came to the East Coast tourney from the Glory Days League. A total of 40 players with his team dominated its division. It's a testimony to the popularity of senior softball. Right now we have 11 teams in the Wednesday night 60 and over league and the Thursday night 50 and over league somewhere between 125 and 150 players. I'd like to get it back to the pre-COVID levels of eight teams in each league. Those considering coming out to play should understand that the Glory Days leagues use wood bats and low-compression softballs to keep the speed of batted balls a little tamer than in the Florida tournament. Batters hitting a ball through the infield are awarded first base, thereby eliminating the embarrassing prospect of slower runners being thrown out at first from the outfield. It's a lot of fun. We, are, we get going in May with plenty of spots available. Tell everyone they can go to our website, 5060softball.com, to find out how to get involved. Oh, and did you guess what MOG stands for? Mostly old guys. Another front page story. East Aurora School District approves budget with 2.74% tax levy increase. Public Hearing Set for May 3rd By Sean Cunningham Staff Reporter East Aurora's budget is complete and ready for voters The East Aurora School Board approved the 2023-2024 district budget in the amount of $43.8 million by a unanimous vote 6 to nothing Board member Terry Olweiler was absent The budget will see an increase in the tax levy of 2.74%. The district had originally projected a tax tax levy increase of 3.13%. After discussions with board members throughout the budget development process, the district moved around appropriated funds to lower the tax levy to 2.54%. At the April 19th meeting, school superintendent Brian Russ asked the board to increase the budget by an additional $50,000, saying he had received information about changes to requirements regarding student services. That's to cover some unexpected costs we may have with some program adjustments that are going to come our way for the 23-24 budget, said Russ. That adjustment increased the tax levy to 2.74%. Three full-time building substitutes were not included in this year's budget, but will continue to be provided next year through federal stimulus funding. Two additional positions that will not appear in this year's budget include a part-time academic intervention services teacher and a social-emotional learning SEL coordinator. Russ said that the district would look into providing the SEL, Coordinator on a consultant basis. There was no update provided on the Federal Emergency Management Agency's reimbursement for the distribution of meals provided during the pandemic. The public is welcome to address the board during the public hearing set on May 3rd at 7 p.m. in the East Roar Middle School Library. The PowerPoint presentation for the budget is available at www org under the Budget Development tab. Also on the front page, Rotary Club will install new welcome sign by Shelley Ferullo, Editor. The local Rotary Club has asked village officials in East Aurora for permission to install a new welcome sign. Rotary President Ted borowiak requested that the village turn over a sign in its possession so that the Rotary can install it on Route 16 near Willardshire Road, replacing an older sign that is still on display. The sign Barowiak refers to matches the three other signs at various locations, welcoming people to East Aurora. Four were ordered several years ago, but only three were installed. The Rotary would like to complete the process. We would like to replace, or Repair the welcome sign at the corner of Seneca Street and Willardshire, burrow said. We understand that there is a fourth sign that matches the three others entering the village. We are considering using the last sign as an option as an upgrade. Trustee Steve Lazisus said that he doesn't like the imitation stone pillars that were used to install the existing three signs, and maybe the rotary could choose something not looking like plastic, to support the sign. Barowiak acknowledged that they still have some planning to do. Attorney Chris Trapp noted that the village will still own the sign once it is installed, but is giving permission to the rotary to install it. The property where the sign is situated is in the town of Aurora, but is on the county right-of-way. Barowiak said he has discussed this with county officials, and there should be no problem with the installation. Historian's Corner. The circle is taking many different shapes. By Robert Lowell Goler, town and village historian. To improve transportation safety in recent years, traffic engineers have converted intersections to roundabouts in many communities. Most recently, a new roundabout greets motorists, at the southern end of Route 400. In East Aurora, however, this innovation is nothing new. The Circle has been an unofficial landmark at the west end of the village since 1936. However, despite its LB unofficial name, the Circle hasn't always been a circle. And although it is officially known as Willink Square... Named after the village that once surrounded it, the intersection has included an oval, triangles, and a circle, but never a square. Until the early nineteen hundreds, the circle was nothing more than the convergence of East Aurora's Main Street with the dirt roads to Hamburg and Buffalo. The informal town square bustled with activities in the late eighteen hundreds, with visitors traveling from around the globe to visit the nearby world-famous horse farms of Cicero Hamlin and the Jewett family. A 1904 Sanborn insurance map shows that by that year an informal triangular-shaped park with paths running through it had developed at the often muddy intersection. By 1912, pipe fences had been erected around three small grass islands one oval, surrounded by two irregularly shaped triangles. When Main Street was paved with bricks in the summer of 1914, a set of two more formal curbed triangles were constructed. The intersection continued to serve as a town square and hosted community events and concerts. By the mid-1920s, a modest bandstand had been placed in one of the grassed triangles, and a World War I German prize cannon was put on display in the other. In May of 1932, the village board added formality to the intersection by officially name it, naming it Willink Square. Village trustee W. Edward Chandler, a resident of the village's West End, championed the effort to resurrect the Willick name. Wilhelm Willick was a wealthy merchant in the Netherlands and a principal investor in the Holland Land Company, which controlled land in western New York in the late 1700s and early 1800s. Until 1974, the western end of the current-day village of East Aurora was named the Village of Willink, and the same area was served by the Willink Post Office until 1913. The irony of naming two grass triangles Willink Square in 1932 was not lost on the editors of a Buffalo newspaper who jokingly noted changing a triangle to a square has been done without physical alterations. The park-like setting at Willink Square soon faced pressure from the automobile. Motorists who became more numerous in the 1920s and 1930s found it difficult to navigate the two triangles. One newspaper report called them confusing traffic hazards. To alleviate the problem, the triangles were converted to one circle in 1936 as part of a larger project to widen East Aurora's Main Street. The construction was funded through the Works Progress Administration, WPA, a federal initiative to provide jobs and improve transportation and other infrastructure during the Great Depression. After approval from the State Highway Department in early January of 1936, work on the new traffic circle began within weeks. Again, the geometric irony of the situation was not lost on the editors of local newspapers. Two triangles to equal one circle when WPA finishes proclaimed a headline in the April 2, 1936 issue of the Advertiser. Circle replaces triangles at Willink Square, noted the headline above a photograph of the circle under construction in a May 1936 issue of a Buffalo newspaper. The project wasn't without its challenges. Village, of, village officials soon realized that they would need to find new homes for the concert bandstand, which the East Aurora Advertiser deemed a familiar landmark downtown, and the World One Cannon. The bandstand was relocated to Hamlin Park. The gun was placed at the entrance to American Legion Post 362 on Center Street until it was scrapped for metal during World War II. Several business owners supported the Main Street widening from 30 and 40 feet to 51 feet because it would provide space for parking and turning lanes. But the project was halted for a few weeks by objection of property owners and other interested in saving trees along the area affected. Noted an article in the May 21, 1936 issue of the Advertiser, WPA officials threatened to move workers to other projects, including construction in Emory Park, if the Main Street construction didn't continue. According to newspaper reports, the Circle construction proceeded after it was separated from the Main Street widening project, which eventually also continued after village officials promised to replace many of the displaced trees. Although deemed safer than the Triangles, the Circle took some time to get used to, According to newspaper reports, several confused motorists failed to yield the right-of-way. And others drove around in the wrong direction. A planned traffic signal in the middle of the circle, mentioned in an article in the April 2, 1936 issue of the Advertiser, never materialized. And within months, the Board of Trade was leading an effort to install better signs and pavement markings. At present, a reflector sign directs traffic approaching from the north to go right around the circle, the advertiser reported on October 15, 1936. But many, especially strangers, apparently do not see or heed the sign, with the resultant confusion and congestion at times. The situation is not a serious one and can Probably be regulated with little difficulty. The Circle continued to challenge motorists, however. In 1961, a truck driver lost a large load of hay after he rounded the southern end too quickly. Despite the logistical difficulties, the Circle quickly became an unofficial Easter Ore landmark. By Memorial Day of 1936, articles and advertisements in the Advertiser went from calling the intersection Willink Square to Willink Circle. Over time, Easter Orrins began ref- referencing to it simply as The Circle, although village records still officially consider it Willink Square. Harrington's Circle Inn and the Circle Coin Laundry were among the businesses to embrace the Circle name. The Circle Inn was destroyed by fire in 1963, after it had become Shore's Circle Inn. Many other West End businesses advertised their location on the Circle. Despite a few logistical changes and minor geographical shifts during road construction projects over the years, the Circle has remained a circle since 1936, even though there has been pressure to change it from time to time. When McDonald's Restaurant opened in 1980, there was some discussion of replacing the circle with a more conventional T-intersection. We hesitate to call for any radical changes in the configuration of the circle to make it a T or teardrop or whatever, the advertiser published publisher noted in an editorial at the time. After all, traffic has been drawn away from Main Street by Route 400, and the circle has been there for a good 40 years at least. However, if the restaurant and other businesses cause greater problems than anticipated, the Village Traffic Committee would do well to consider a change. However, traffic engineers have touted circles or roundabouts as safer altern- alternatives to traditional T intersections. When the State Department of Transportation reconstructed Main Street in the mid 2000s, small roundabouts were suggested at other village intersections, similars to those added in the village of Hamburg. However, following local resistance, the plan was abandoned in East Aurora. As part of the mid-2000s reconstruction, the circle was reconfigured to, enclosed, to include a raised median, crosswalks, and an apron for tractor-trailers. An early plan from the State Transportation Department called for a two-lane circle, but Many East Aurorans didn't like the idea, and it was abandoned. East Aurorans also don't like calling it a roundabout, the term preferred by traffic engineers. In this village, the roundabout at Willink Square is still called The Circle. A special exhibit, The Shapes of the Circle, is on view outside the historian's office at the Aurora Municipal Center, 575 Oakwood Avenue. Through May 31st, this and other historical exhibits may be viewed during regular municipal center hours, Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. until 4.30 p.m. The Aurora History Museum is presented by the Aurora Town Historian's Office in collaboration with the Aurora Historical Society. For more information, visit www townofauroracom backslash departments backslash historian. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the East Aurora Advertiser on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Our Memories section. Fifteen years ago, April twenty seventh, two thousand eight. Pearl Street Grill and Brewery in downtown Buffalo prepares to install Lake Effect Man, a 24 foot tall, one ton plus work by East Aurora's Eric Zimmerman on its facade, completing a 14 month long creative process by Zimmerman. The town of Aurora successfully closes on its purchase of 300 Gleed Avenue and the sale of the existing town hall to the Margaret L. Went Foundation. Aurora area residents visit Haipu Khan Village, Thailand, to mark Mary McCutcheon's birthday. Judith Greer of Holland presents a talk entitled, Eleanor Roosevelt, The Gift of an Inspirational Life, at the Unitarian Universalist Church of East Aurora. Mariana Beeman of ELMA is a guest artist at the opening of a children's art exhibit at the Buffalo Niagara International Airport's Art Gallery. And Tony Strazella, a senior at East Aurora High School, is the East Aurora High School Athlete of the Week. Strazella is a captain and starting goalie for the boys' varsity lacrosse team. 30 years ago, April 27, 1993, the second grade students of Immaculate Conception School in East Aurora visit the Aurora Town Hall to present a giant birthday cookie and a handmade card signed by students and staff to Town Supervisor William Green in honor of the town's ongoing birthday celebration. Timothy and Heather Putt announced the birth of their sister Stephanie Rose, born April 19th, to Diane and Paul Putt, Jr., of Marilla. Sue Tantello of Elma, a member of the Countryside Garden Club, is installed as the third assistant director of the District 8 Federated Garden Clubs of New York State. Glenn Rademacher, son of Mr. and Mrs. Francis Rademacher of East Main Street in Istorora, is promoted to major in the United States Army Reserves, serving with the 82nd Field Hospital in Omaha, Nebraska, where he resides with his wife Ruth and son Gabriel. Six new tennis courts are available for use at Emory Park in South Wales following the $75,000 reconstruction of the courts funded by capital funds from the Erie County budget. Over a dozen companies are contacted and invited to submit proposals to act as developers for the renovation of the Roycroft Inn, the agreement with the previous developers having been terminated in November due to lack of progress. The selection of a new developer is expected near the end of May. Air Force Senior Master Sergeant Linda L. Keel is named Senior Information Manager of the Year of Chavares Air Base, Mont Chiverus, Belgium, based on her exemplary duty performance, job knowledge, leadership qualities, significant self-improvement, and other accomplishments. Kiel... Chief of Information Management, is the daughter of Burton L. and Betty R. Riemann of Hunters Creek Road in South Wales. Forty-five years ago, April 27, 1978. Stuart Howver, son of Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Howver, is the winner of two awards presented annually to outstanding major accounting majors, at canisius college joseph m reichert son of mr and mrs howard reichert of ellicott road in west falls enlists in the u.s air force delayed enlistment program the globe hotel on main street celebrates its 156th birthday with complimentary champagne mark t rogers son of Mr. and Mrs. Richard L. Rogers of Greenwood Drive, is named to the Dean's List at Rochester Institute of Technology. Mr. and Mrs. David Reynolds and their daughter Julie returned from a trip to Europe, where they visited their daughter Lauren, staying in Kiel, West Germany, as an exchange student. Airman John T. Downey, son of Mr. and Mrs. Thomas P. Downey, is selected for technical training at Chanute Air Force Base, Illinois. East Aurora police appeal to the community for assistance in stemming an outbreak of vandalism that they believe to be the work of juveniles. The string of acts include broken windows at Parkdale Elementary and Southside, apparent prowling on the roof of Parkdale, and an attempt to wrench an exit sign from the ceiling at the south entrance of the First Presbyterian Church that ripped a hole in the ceiling. Parents' parents are asked to keep an eye on their children, and citizens are asked to call the department pronto to report out of the ordinary incidents. The Roycroft Gallery shows works by Joe Whalen, Robert N. Blair, Noreen Sperling, Wendy Warner, Shirley Kassman, Marion Bode, Joe Sinelli, Susan Reed, Doug Bauer, Doug Adams, William Parsons, Philip A. Schmidt, Janice McDuffie, Sally Danforth, Catherine B. Geyer, Joanne M. Koch, and Glenn Bager and Debbie Chapman. 60 Years Ago, April 27, 1963. Dedication of the new First Baptist Church on Bowen Road in Elma takes place with Dr. Kenneth Good of the Fellowship of Baptists for Home Missions. Former Roycrofters and friends at the East Aurora Nursing Home join in a surprise party to honor Mr. and Mrs. Raymond L. Spahnable on their 56th wedding anniversary. Mr. and Mrs. Robert Bruce McPherson of Emory Road in South Wales announced the birth of a son, Michael Ross. Michael Kaiser, son of Mr. and Mrs. Michael Kaiser of Hillcrest Road, is accepted at Amherst College. Walter P. Doe is re-elected Chief of the East Aurora Fire Department unopposed, elected assistants. Charles Blood, Cazenovia House, re-elected Alfred Schroeder, Chemical Engine, Donald Bryce, East End Hose, and Kurt M. Alexander, Pioneer Hook and Ladder. Department Secretary Robert C. McNally reported there are 121 active volunteers. The East Aurora Fire Department wins the Fire Prevention Trophy at the Southwestern Volunteer Firemen's Association Convention. Construction of the new Aurora Town Public Library on Main and Valley is scheduled to start, with completion expected around October 1st. Meetings. The Aurora Town Board will meet on Monday, May 8th at 6.30 p.m. at 585 Oakwood Avenue. Visit townofaurora.com backslash on the day of the meeting to learn more. The next Marilla Town Board meeting is scheduled for Thursday, May 11th at 7 p.m. in the Marilla Town Hall, located on Two Rod Road. The Elma Town Board will meet on Wednesday, May 10th at 7 p.m. in the Elma Town Hall, located at 1600 Bowen Road in Elma. The next Town of Wales Board meeting is scheduled for Tuesday, May 9th at 7 p.m. at 12345 Big Tree Road in Wales Center. The Holland Town Board will next meet on Wednesday, May 10th at 7 p.m. at the Holland Town Hall on Pearl Street. The Board generally meets on the second Wednesday of each month. The East Aurora School Board meets on Wednesday, May 3rd at 7 p.m. at the East Aurora Middle School on Main Street. The Iroquois Central School Board meets on Tuesday, May 9th at 7 p.m. in the Iroquois Middle School on Girdle Road. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the East Aurora Advertiser on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Symbolic Scout Ceremony for Pack 514. Cub Scouts Pack 514 of East Aurora held their annual blue and gold dinner at the East Aurora High School on Saturday, March 25th. The Blue and Gold Banquet is a traditional event that started as a celebration of the founding of Boy Scouts America (BSA) for the entire pack, but it has also been used by Pack 514 as an opportunity for the families of the Arrow of Light, AOL, scouts to come and help celebrate the accomplishment of earning the rank. Crossing a bridge from a Cub Scout pack to a Boy Scout troop is a symbolic act. The AOL rank is the highest level of Cub Scouts. These are scouts around 10 or 11 years old, who have worked to achieve the AOL rank and graduate, from their pack. This graduation is usually celebrated in the form of a crossing over ceremony. The event featured a formal crossing over ceremony, a catered dinner from the North Star Tavern in Elma, dessert, and a reptile show by Prehistoric World of Reptiles. During the ceremony, the boys built the bridge they later walked across piece by piece. Each piece has inscribed on it the values embodied in the Scout Oath and Law. The Scout Law states a Scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. After crossing the bridge, they are welcomed by their BSA Scout troops, should they continue to should they choose to continue to pursue it. Representatives from Boy Scout Troop 513 and Troop 599, both based in East Aurora, were on hand to present new members with neckerchiefs upon their graduation. Jack Peach, the Den 6 leader at Pac-514, remarked on the boys' achievement. I and the assistant Den leader, Ed Jazwiak, are very proud of our Cub Scout Arrow of Light graduates. The past five years have seemed to fly by, and now they are ready to enter Boy Scouts. They have each shown dedication and have remained true to the Scout oath and law. We look forward to their future achievements. Cub Scout Pack 514 is chartered by the Boys and Girls Club in East Aurora. Pack 514 promotes learning and fun for youth in first to fifth in a safe and healthy environment. New members are welcome. For more information, visit eastaurrapac514.org backslash contact. Driver's licenses at risk of suspension over vision screening laps. Erie County Clerk Michael P. Kearns and the New York State Department of Motor Vehicles, DMV, are warning drivers that they are at risk of having their driver's license suspended if they fail to comply with the vision screening policy. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, motorists were allowed to renew their New York State driver's licenses online by self-certifying their vision. By doing so, they agreed to submit a vision test within one year of that date. Affected motorists whose driver's license expired between March 1st, 2020 and August 31st, 2021, were sent a notification requiring that they complete the screening. We are asking those who self-certified their vision online to complete the screening process. Erie County Clerk Michael P. Kern said, If you fail to submit your vision test results or take one at your local DMV office, You are putting your driving privileges in jeopardy of immediate suspension. Do not ignore this final reminder. The DMV recently sent final notices to drivers who renewed their driver licenses online and chose to defer their vision test upon renewal. This is after over 150,000 drivers have yet to obey past communications from the DMV. There are multiple options for drivers to show that they have visual acuity of at least 2040 based on the Snellen visual acuity scale in either or both eyes, with or without corrective lenses, in order to meet the requirement. If a vision test is administered by an approved provider, the provider will enter the results into the DMV's vision registry. To submit a vision test from a provider, that is not approved to be in DMV's vision registry, the provider must complete a vision test report, MV619, and submit the original copy by mail. Erie County Auto Bureau, 170 Pearl Street, Buffalo 14202, attention vision results. Vision screenings can be performed at any Erie County Auto Bureau. To schedule an appointment, visit erie.gov backslash clerk backslash autobureau or call the Erie County Clerk's Outreach Center at 716-858-8864 for additional assistance. Aurora Police Report. Traffic violations on Center Street. While traveling on Center Street on April 22nd, A 45-year-old resident from West Seneca was pulled over for speeding. The report said that radar equipment calculated he was traveling at 58 miles per hour when the speed limit was 45 miles per hour. An inquiry through the DMV revealed that he was summoned in a neighboring town and he failed to show up in December of 2022. He was charged with speeding, driving without a license, and driving without an inspection. Hit and Run A delivery driver traveling to the Gray Street Plaza was charged with a traffic infraction on April 22nd after an East Aurora resident witnessed the truck traveling on Gray Street, striking the curb, and damaging a street sign. The resident took a photo of the license plate on the truck and emailed them to the police station. An officer traveled to look at the damaged sign at Buffalo Road and Gray Street and then traveled to the plaza and discovered the suspected truck in the loading area. The driver admitted to knocking over the street sign and the report says he did not tell his boss about the incident yet. There was damage to the trailer of the vehicle. He was advised to report accidents immediately if there is property damage and he was charged with failing to stay in the designated lane. Suspended Registration A 43-year-old female from Williamsville was charged with driving with a suspended registration and without insurance on Friday, April 21st. The report says she was traveling on Center Road, and an officer ran a DMV check while observing her drive, which revealed the offenses and she was pulled over and charged. The vehicle was towed from the scene, and the license plates were confiscated. The East Aurora Advertiser's Police Report is intended to provide information about local enforcement and activity using data provided by the East Aurora Police Department. Suspect's names are withheld from the blotter, as the advertiser does not usually provide coverage of the courts nor investigate blotter. Erie County Sheriff's Report. Assault charges in Marilla. Erie County Sheriff's Department charged one person with assault on April 15th following a disagreement between two people on Hem Street Road in Marilla that became physical. The individual who was charged was transported to ECMC. In other area calls handled by the Erie County Sheriff's deputies out of the Elma substation, April 14th, a resident on West Blood Road in Elma reported sending someone on the Internet a money order to purchase a dog. The money order was cashed, and they did not receive the animal. April 15th, a resident on Bullis Road in Elma reported hearing shots fired. The report says the person who was shooting was doing it safely. People were walking around park vehicles with flashlights on Holland Glenwood Road in Holland. A vehicle in an accident on Two Rod Road in Marilla was towed from the scene. No injuries were reported. An individual who was illegally parked in a vehicle on Olean Road in Wales was taken to a nearby hospital for a voluntary blood draw because he was suspected to be impaired on substances. April 16th, no incidents were reported on this date. April 17th, an individual on Ward Road in Holland reported receiving threatening text messages. April 18th, an accident between two vehicles occurred at the intersection of Boehm Bowen and Jamison Rhodes in Elma. No injuries were reported. April 19th, no incidents were reported on this date. And April 20th, a vehicle traveling on North Main Street in Holland struck a parked vehicle in a tree. No injuries were reported. The Sheriff's report is intended to provide information about local local enforcement and activity, using data provided by the Erie County Sheriff's Office. The Sheriff's Office does not usually include the names of suspects, subjects in this report. New Partnership Brings Progressive Care to Local Facility Absolute Care of Aurora Park, 176-bed Skilled Nursing and Rehabilitation Facility in East Aurora, recently announced a partnership with Dr. Justin Green and Highgate Medical Group to oversee the day-to-day clinical care. The partnership marries that of Aurora Park's sister facilities within the McGuire Group, where Highgate Medical has provided clinical services since 2016. As Aurora Park's medical director, Green oversees the day-to-day clinical care and provides quality assurance, reviews, develops care plans, participates on ethical committees, provides assessments for new admissions, and oversees the care of long-term residents. Green is an associate partner at Highgate Medical Group, which is one of the practices in the Primary Care IPA, PCIPA, comprises 24 practices and 86,000 adult patients. When patients are diverted to Aurora Park for rehabilitation or other services, Green oversees the care, facilities communication with the primary care providers, and ensures a handoff and follow-up as the patient transition back to their PCPs. When groups are aligned, there's a collaboration and combination of resources, Green said. This creates a stronger presence in the community while improving patient care, enhancing communication, providing cohesive medical histories, and incorporating best practices. Absolute Care of Aurora Park provides subacute rehabilitation, skilled nursing care, memory care, in-house dialysis, hospice care, and Respite Short-Term Care. RCA Healthcare Management took over the management of Aurora Park and five other facilities in the Absolute Care portfolio in 2020 after they had fallen into bankruptcy under the former owner. In 2022, Absolute Care and its sister portfolios, including the McGuire Group, Taconic Healthcare, and VestraCare underwent an enterprise-wide rebranding as Living Legends. For more information, visit LivingLegendsHealth.com. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the East Aurora Advertiser on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. East Aurora Sidewalk Sale returns to Main Street this July. The 54th East Aurora Sidewalk Sale and Street Festival is back live on Main Street on Saturday, July 29th, with a preview sale on Friday, July 28th for Main Street businesses located between Elm and Olean Olean Streets. Both events will be all-day. Hours for the preview sale on Friday are 10 a.m. until 4 p.m. Hours during the Saturday day event are 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. Traffic on Main Street will be open on Friday, but Main Street will be closed to traffic from Elm Street to Olean Road on Saturday. Vendor registration is open online under the Events tab at www.eaany cc.com. The cost to register is $130 for non-chamber members, $90 for chamber members, and $75 for non-profit charities. The Greater East Aurora Chamber of Commerce is looking for businesses to help support this event through sponsorship. There are several levels of sponsorship available, and all include a 10x10 vendor spot, on the street. For more information, contact Victoria R. Sturman, Executive Director of the Greater East Aurora Chamber of Commerce, at seven one six six five two eight four four four, or at V Sturman. That's V S T U R M A N at E A N Y C C. dot com. University Music Department presents free concert in May. University at Buffalo faculty and recent graduates will join with musicians from the Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra, conductor Jamin Dunn, and gospel musicians from Buffalo's African American Church community to present a special gift to the community concert on May 9th. The concert will be held at 7.30 p.m. in Lippi's Concert Hall, located in Slee Hall on the University at Buffalo's North Campus. The program features the music of a variety of African-American composers as well as several classic gospel hymns. Professor and Chair of the Department of Music, Eric Kubner, said, The concert is a musical coming together to commemorate the vitality and diversity of music making in Buffalo one year after a racist attack in the heart of our city sought to divide our community and create fear and apprehension among its residents. The concert is free and open to the public. Music Gala at Knox Farm in May. The Roycroft Chamber Music Festival will host a gala event on Tuesday, May 9th at 7 p.m. at the Mansion at Knox Farm State Park. This event will be a fundraiser and musicians from the Roycroft Chamber Music Festival whose formal season begins in June will introduce some works to be performed during this year's 29th Annual Music Festival. Wine and hors d'oeuvres will be served. A limited number of tickets to this event are $50 each and can be obtained either by writing to P.O. Box 281 East Aurora 15052 or by emailing RoycroftChamberMusic at gmail.com For more information, email M mbuyer that's m-b-u-y-e-r at gmail.com The concerts for the Roycroft Chamber Music Festival will be on June 9th, June 11th, June 16th And June 17th. Farmers Wanted for Farmers Market in Alden. The Alden Farmers Market is opening on May 13th, and there is a space for vendors, especially local farmers with produce. Craftspeople also are wanted for craft shows on May 13th, May 20th, and May 27th. Craft shows also are planned each month during the summer including one on June 17th. The market will be open from 8.30 a.m. through 1.00 p.m. every Saturday from May 13th through September 30th. Live entertainment and Earl's Famous Hot Dogs will begin on June 3rd. Market spaces accommodate a 10 by 10 tent. Rental is $30 per market day, or $130 per season, for regular vendors. A double space is $180 for the full season. Contact the Alden Chamber of Commerce for an application at 716-937-6177 or email secretary at aldenny.org. Vendors are required to have all the proper permits and licensing for their products and a sales tax number where applicable. The market is hosted by the Alden Chamber of Commerce and is located in the Tractor Supply Save-A-Lot Plaza at 13119 Broadway. Pets, bicycles, rollerblades, and skateboards should not enter the main area for health and safety reasons. ELMA Board Tables Hydrant Agreement with Lancaster by Sean Cunningham ELMA is not rushing to extend a shared hydrant agreement with Lancaster for the next five years. At last Wednesday's meeting, the town board discussed the agreement for 15 hydrants along Hall Road between Bowen and Ransom Roads that ELMA maintains and supplies with water. One hydrant currently requires maintenance and is waiting on parts. In a former contract, Alma charges Lancaster $161 per year per hydrant for maintenance. Water Department Superintendent Brian Fiden recommended that the agreement be increased to $250 per hydrant because the rate had not been changed since 2018. The hydrants down there are all 60 years old, Fyden said, in a recording of the meeting provided by a town official. Supervisor Wayne Clark believed there was a discrepancy from the town of Lancaster as to the price increase. He asked Fiden how the price could increase without reasoning. How many years have we collected money from them and haven't put a nickel into it? And they're really no cost to us, Clark said. Fiden said that the hydrants get painted every couple of years, two or three of them have required maintenance over the past few years. Everything goes up. Board member Joseph Macaluso said. Clark asked if the money that was collected in this contract was earmarked for the maintenance and replacement of those hydrants. Fin said that it was currently not the case, but the line could be established in the future. Board member. Lee Koopsik said the first step should be creating a line item for that money and then increasing the price. If that's the case, let's start a line for everything that Fiden needs that hasn't been done the last couple of years, Macaluso said. Board member Daryl Nolan asked what the alternative would be should the agreement fall apart. Fyden said that Lancaster did not have a big enough water main in the affected area to support hydrants, which was why they tapped into Elma's waterline and entered into the agreement. It's enough to supply for housing, but not enough for fire protection, Fiden said. The new agreement would last for five years. The board did not know the status of the Lancaster acceptance of the agreement at their April 17th meeting. Board member Tracy Petrosi said... A big line in the agreement says that in the future the town of Elma shall install any additional hydrants or hydrants required for future construction. Clark asked if the water department supplied any agreement to the town of Lancaster. Fiden said he he did not. I think we need to look into this, Macaluso said. Petrosi motioned to table the agreement. The vote to table was unanimous. Macaluso asked what the next steps were. Clark said he would call Lancaster's supervisor to discuss it. Upon review of the live stream of the meeting of the Town of Lancaster for April 17th, their board voted unanimously to accept the agreement at a cost of $161 per hydrant. The Town of Elma meets again on Wednesday, May 10th, for a work session at the Elma Town Hall on Bowen Road at 6 p.m. Annual Tree planting at East Aurora High School The annual Arbor Day planting tradition has deep roots in East Aurora. The Tree Board of East Aurora recently planted new trees at East Aurora High School, marking the Board's 23rd consecutive year of planting trees on the school's Center Street property. This is the 25th year of celebrating Arbor Day in East Aurora. This year's tree planting ceremony took place on April 20th. The trees are purchased through donations given by the Rotary, and Garden Clubs of East Aurora. Arbor Day began in 1872 when the state of Nebraska set aside one day to plant trees, both forest and fruit. By 1920, the celebration had spread nationwide. Most holidays celebrate something that has already happened and is worth remembering, whereas Arbor Day reflects hope for the future. East Aurora has been a participant for over 20 years, there are 15 other participating communities in western New York. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the April 27th, 2023 issue of the East Aurora Advertiser. Your reader has been Bruce. Thank you for listening.